0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amber Nickel, the host of the channel, and today we're going to be talking to Roy Schwartz about his new book, *Is Superman Circumcised, The Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero. And so uh, first, I just want to thank you, Roy, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Amazing. I was wondering if you could start off for our listeners by just telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, my name is Roy Schwartz. I am the author of the new book is Superman circumcised the complete Jewish history of the world's greatest hero. Uh, it just came out. It's available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes, Noble, et cetera. Um, my previous book was the darkness in Lee's closet and the others waiting there, uh, which is a spooky fantasy for middle graders for eight to 12 year olds. Um, I write for newspapers, magazines, websites, um, law firms, tech companies, toy companies, production studios. I am now writing about pop culture for CNN.com. I have a piece coming out next week. Um, I have taught English and writing at CUNY, the City University of New York. And I am a former writer and residence fellow at the New York Public Library. Uh, and when I'm not writing, I am disguised as a mild-mannered uh, director of marketing and business development for a regional law firm in New York. Um, I attended, I got my bachelor's from the New School University in New York, majoring in English and creative writing, minoring in journalism, and uh, my interdisciplinary master's from NYU in English and social thought, where I focused on 19th century British and 20th century American literature. Um, I also interned for Marvel Comics. I'm originally from Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, I grew up a voracious reader of everything from uh, Israeli novels to British plays to, of course, American comic books. Uh, I actually taught myself English from comics and cartoons, um, which is why I'm comfortable saying things like swell and great Scott. <laughs> uh I live out on Long Island, New York. I did the whole uh, cliche thing moving from the city to the suburbs uh, with my wife, Kimberly Ray Miller, who is a bestselling author and editor in her own right, um, and her two children. And I enjoy uh, caffeine, candy, and uh, quality over quantity wardrobe. Amazing.
0: That is quite the diverse background when it comes to both education and occupation, and I really could see all of that coming out in your text when I read it. So thank you for sharing that with us today. I I think you already started in on this question, but can you tell readers a little bit more about what brought you to this topic?
1: Um, Yeah, I would be happy to. The I have always been interested in comic books. I grew up on superheroes. I grew up on comic books. I have always looked up to these characters. When I was a a kid, um, I would ask myself, what would Superman do? Uh, more than I would ask my parents for advice, I would imagine Superman, uh, sort of guiding the way. Now that I'm a grown-up, by the way, I just ask myself, what would my wife do or say she's my, my hero now? Um, When I started my academic career, I really was interested in pop culture phenomena from different perspectives, different academic perspectives, whether it's Jewish studies, whether it's uh, as works of literature, as works of art, as reflections of culture, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And I wrote several papers about them. Sometimes it was an uphill battle. Sometimes the professor was very much on board. It really depended on the class. And I ended up writing my grad school thesis at NYU, also titled, Is Superman Circumcised? Because I thought the title was, uh, it entertained me at least. Uh, it was about really the the concept of heroism and the heroic figure in the Jewish tradition, starting with the Bible, going through the Moshe Ashkenazi tradition of all these miracle-working rabbis and golems, and culminating in American comic books, which I, I saw as sort of the latest stage in that particular evolutionary tree. Um... And comparing all that to the Christian continental traditions of heroism, which are quite different in many, many respects. Um, NYU has uh, a thesis competition, an annual thesis competition, where if you are a masochist like me, you can, instead of defending your thesis in front of three professors in a room, you can get on stage in front of the entire school and start arguing with three deans about it. And I figured, what the heck, let's do it. I went on a lark um, with a good friend from school and uh, we were 420 something people to start off with and surprising no one more than myself, I won second place. People wrote about these very serious topics, cancer research and pollution and all these kind of things. And I just talked about uh, uh, superheroes and figures in folklore and lore and a bit of philosophy and uh, that kind of stuff. And I won second place. That led to some press. It led to a book contract with McFarland, which is a large um, academic press. And I received a fellowship from the New York Public Library where I spent two years as a writer in residence uh, researching this book.
0: Amazing. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's awesome. I think that uh, clearly there is a reason why you won second place. Uh, There is a lot to be said here. And well, we're not all curing cancer. We are offering something pretty significant. So I'm sure that given the title of your text, you get this question quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but it seems to be the one that I wanted to start with. So is, is Superman circumcised?
1: Yeah, I do get asked that a lot. And I am always surprised. I shouldn't be at this point, but I'm always surprised by how many people literally think that my uh, 300 page 96 image book uh, is literally about Superman's circumcision. And I have to tell him, no, that is a cheeky title designed to grab attention. The subtitle tells you what it's about. It is about the complete Jewish history of the world's greatest hero. Um, What it really is about is both the historical context and the thematic content of uh, superhero comics in general, um, the comic book industry, and more specifically superhero comics, and particularly Superman, as sort of the, the avatar, the first, the mold, and sort of the richest in your signification. Um, but to your question, I get asked this so many times, you know, how could you circumcise him? Da, 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 that I've come up with an answer. Uh, and by the way, to remind you, on Krypton, baby Superman was not super. So as long as the you know his parents shipped him off at eight days or more, it would not have been a problem. Um, but I've come up with an answer, and it's this. If you're familiar with the lore, um, on Krypton, the planet he's from, his father's name was Jor-El, and Superman was born Kal-El, and he was circumcised by Moy-El. It's a bad joke, but I stand behind it.
0: Oh, I mean, that gave me a giggle, uh, definitely. Uh, so I really, I know that this comes a little bit later in your text, but it is a question that a lot of listeners are going to be interested in. So can you explain a little bit about how the personalities and backgrounds of the creators, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, shaped the character of Superman?
1: Um, very much so. The Just like jazz can be traced back to a very specific group of people, a very specific milieu, which is uh, Black Americans in Harlem and New Orleans in the early days of the 20th century, um, Comic books can be traced back to a very specific group, which is Jewish immigrants and their children, mostly in New York during seeing all the outliers in this regard. Um, The the comic book medium is a Jewish invention, the superhero is a Jewish invention. Um, You had these young entrepreneurial or artistic or intellectual Jews in New York during the Depression, uh, during a time of high anti Semitism who brought all this to comic books because they they had nowhere else to bring it to. They couldn't get a job doing anything. Uh, Most respected businesses had these unwritten and sometimes written rules. Jews need not apply, Um, particularly in things like publishing, ad agencies. These were all WASPy strongholds in New York, Uh, the, the newspaper syndicates. So similar to Hollywood, they basically created an industry of their own. Uh, on sort of the periphery of prose, the bottom rung of the publishing industry. And it really grew out of the pulps and all these sordid type of magazines. Uh, Superman's publishers were uh, bootleggers and pornographers originally. Uh, And as well as while they were publishing Superman until Superman sort of proved himself financially viable enough. Um, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Jerry Siegel was first generation uh, born to uh, parents from... um, Uh, Lithuania, the family was Segalowitz, and Joe Schuster, the artist, immigrated from Canada. He was born in Toronto. His parents came before then from the Ukraine and uh, Holland, and they met in high school in Glenville, which was a predominantly Jewish neighborhood in Cleveland, Ohio, back in the 30s. They became best friends at first sight, and at the tender age of 17, came up with the idea of Superman, and... Superman himself, the superhero, was their wish fulfillment. He was very much a reaction formation to what was going on in the world at the time. Uh, But Clark Kent, they based on themselves. He was very much their avatar in fiction. Like Clark Kent, they were bespectacled, nebushy, socially awkward, um, these kind of schlamyoshly mazels, which also happens to fit the Jewish stereotype, certainly at the time.
0: I also found your treatment of Superman at the intersection of Jewish tradition and American myth making quite thought provoking. Can you tell readers a little bit more about
1: that? Yes, um, that's a good question. The the thing to understand is that there was nothing like Superman before he showed up. You had these uh, you had biblical characters certainly, and before people could say things like "What am I, Superman?" or "What am I, the Hulk?", they would say things like "What am I, Samson?" Um. But there were no superheroes. We had Pulp Avengers. We had uh, Soldiers of Fortune and uh, FBG men and cops and treasure hunters and those kind of characters. We had Tarzan was the most fantastic character. But at the end of the day, it's just a guy swinging from ropes in the jungle. And then comes Siegel and Schuster. And they create this um, character who's actually a spaceman who wears long johns and underwear on top of that. And he flies around. And he can, you know, smash walls and bullets bounce off his chest um, and all that stuff. And my favorite part of this kind of creation story of the character is that they spent four years pitching him to every single newspaper and newspaper syndicate in the United States. And they all rejected him, all of them. They said the idea was too gimmicky. They said the idea would never last. Uh, my favorite reaction was that um, it's too fantastical for kids to ever relate to. I just love that. Um, th- there was nothing to, to – there's no precedent. This was a completely Meshuggan idea, right? Um, and what happened, uh, a new publisher called uh, 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 DC Comics – DC stands for Detective Comics, by the way – Uh, They had a new uh, anthology coming up called Action Comics. They were uh, approaching the deadline. They were a bit stressed. They were 13 pages short. They pulled the idea from the slush pile, the rejected pile, um, and said, let's throw it in and just go to press because it was a volume business. It wasn't about quality at all. And so in June 1938, uh, Superman debuted and changed the world forever. He was the first superhero. He turned a very uh, uh, ephemeral business into a multi-billion-dollar agent uh, uh, industry today. You know, superhero is the most viable IP in showbiz. Uh, And as it turns out, uh, the idea of the superhero is not too fantastical for kids to relate to, uh, or for adults, for that matter. And the thing to understand about all this. Superman was created in a very specific Jewish context. Uh, his co creator, Jerry Siegel, the writer, describes how the impetus for creating Superman was his increasing frustration with anti Semitism in the United States, with the persecution of Jews in Europe, of which he was well aware even at that young age, uh, the general population's indifference to everything going on, and how he drew upon his background, uh, characters like Samson and the Golem, in creating his own super strong, indestructible champion of the oppressed. And by the way, long before Superman came to be known as the Man of Steel, his nickname, his handle, was Champion of the Oppressed. Um, And Superman was, you know, even after Seagull and Schuster stopped handling the character, which is its own sort of uh, story, uh, most of Superman handlers, well into the 80s, editors and uh, writers as well as some artists, were predominantly Jewish and they drew upon both consciously and unconsciously, depending, you know, you ask three of them, you get four opinions, which is a very, very Jewish thing. Um, They imbued their character with Jewish signification. So it's both the historical context of Superman's creation evolution, but also inevitably like any other artistic creation, these things found their way into the content of the creation. And when you start looking at it from these things, it's sort of like, um, It's like those magic eye pictures that were popular in the 90s. Once you see what's behind it, you can't not see it. It'll just always be there. And you start seeing these rich themes and symbolisms, some uh, more obvious and some less so, throughout Superman's lifespan. So Superman is very much a Jewish creation born out of that specific time and place and group of people in history.
0: So many have viewed Superman as a messianic figure
1: of sorts,
0: and I think that you really do a great job addressing these claims and some of these parallels. Uh, so can you share with viewers a little bit about your response to claims that Superman represents the Messiah? Uh,
1: thanks. Well, the big question is which Messiah, who's Messiah, right? Uh, Superman started out as very much a Moses figure. The, this has been talked about before me. And the easiest thing to point out is through his origin story. Uh, to save baby Kal-El of Krypton from the impending doom of his people, he's placed in a small vessel and sent adrift down the Milky Way. He crash lands in uh, among, among um, uh, thick vegetation. He's found by people not his own. He's renamed by his adoptive mother, and he grows to be a great savior. Um, that is the origin story of Moses, right? Uh, the, the themes continue. For example, one thing that hasn't been talked about before this book, if you remember the Christopher Reeve movie from 1978, which if you haven't seen or haven't seen in a while, you should. It is a fantastic movie that has aged pretty well. Um, when Clark Kent uh, uh, turns 18 and graduates high school, he crosses the wilderness of the North Pole Uh, He he has this calling where he creates the Fortress of Solitude, um, upon which the hologram of his father, Jor-El, manifests out of the ice, this kind of bright apparition. And he tells him about his heritage, where he comes from, who he really is, and sends him back into the world as a great savior, um, which he's reluctant at first, but eventually assumes the mantle. Uh, And that is the story of Moses, who crosses the desert of Midian, right? Um, Midian. And comes across the burning bush where a bright apparition of the mighty father comes out. And according to a Midrash story, by the way, also spoke to him in the voice of Amram, his birth father, to so not scare him, tells him of his heritage and uh, sends him back into the world. And even the dialogue between um, uh, Exodus and this part of the movie is very, very evocative and very similar. Um So Superman always had those themes and it's very hard not to see a great savior descended from the heavens, whether as a refugee or as um, something else as, as having some sort of messianic message or theme. Uh, He swoops down from the sky to save us. He's an angel, right? Uh, In later years, but Superman was again, very much a Jewish creation, very much uh, uh, embedded in Jewish lore. And in later years, um, Particularly as the industry opened up to more people and more voices, Christian themes were added. But it's important for me to to note that even though in the wider public Superman is often compared to Jesus, there's nothing Christological about Superman in the prime in the source text until um, the 1992-1993 Death and Return of Superman storyline. Uh, everything until there's really nothing Christian. Uh, beyond the general idea of being sent from his by his father, uh, and that was not even added in the comics. Those themes really start in uh, with the Superman movie in '78, and then become more obvious uh, and more blunt in, in um, things like the 2001 TV show Smallville, where if you look up the the poster for the show is him crucified against two planks of wood. Uh, then we have 2006 Superman returns, and uh, then it culminates with the Henry Cavill movies. Uh, like Man of Steel in 2013 where these things are not just um, blunt, they're kind of shouted at you explicitly and loudly repetitively just in case you weren't paying attention Um, so you know people have not only noticed this, they've embraced it and run with it and when it's done well it's sort of in the background as metaphor when it's not done so well it steps in front of the story and just becomes this soapbox Uh, but Superman is very much a messianic figure yeah
0: your treatment of Hitler and Houdini in the same chapter immediately caught my interest. Uh, and I now know how the two are related, but would you mind sharing with listeners how the two are related?
1: Right. Well, first of all, let's be clear, they're not related literally. Um, uh, but yes, I just thought that given that Hitler, Hollywood and Houdini are all a nice alliteration, which is a respected tradition in comic books to alliterate things, I, I thought they belong in the same chapter. What the chapter really does is give you a social historical context because to say Superman was created during the depression and the holocaust is nice but um I don't know if that really conveys the mindset of the creators and what they were facing in that time uh, particularly not to a non-Jewish audience not everybody's well versed with this history and you know this was a very very scary time to be a Jew in America uh, they just, the German-American Bund, the American Nazi Party, had a march down Fifth Avenue. New York was the largest Jewish population in the world. 22,000 people, 22,000 American Nazis were marching down Fifth Avenue, threatening the same threats they did in Berlin and elsewhere, filled up medicine square garden. In, uh, in Yaphag on Long Island, they had a giant militia training camp where thousands were training in uh, guerrilla warfare. Uh, It was a very, very scary time. And Kamu creators who were uh, almost one and all, they're predominantly Jewish, got bomb threats and death threats and the office got picketed and people were hanging around the lobby. That was all um, part of what they faced. Uh, The reason I brought Houdini, who, of course, predates all this, uh, and as I mentioned in the book, this is really owed to Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, where he sort of posits Houdini as a proto-superhero. This enigmatic character, available, you know, able of uh, seemingly superhero uh, feats. Houdini was very, very muscular. That was part of it. He had the kind of sex appeal. Um, uh, Harry Houdini, by the way, was born uh, in Hungary. I think uh, Heinrich Weiss. So um, he was a tribesman, uh, and the character of the escapist in the Amazing Adventures of in Clay is based on him. And I basically took that and explored that more in depth. And found a lot of very interesting things like how he and his good chum, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, creator of Sherlock Holmes, spent time together as sort of real world detectives exposing uh, charlatans um, who were doing all these seances and mediums and taking people for their money. Uh, And it's a fascinating history. Uh, Regarding Hitler, there's a a particular story that I, I really enjoy. When Superman came out, he was very much a Jewish avatar, but most Americans were not aware of it. It just went under the radar. That was part of the goal because a, an explicitly Jewish character would have been a non-starter. Um, but who did notice it were the Nazis. And on February 27, 1940, Siegel and Schuster were asked by Look magazine. Look was a competitor of Life magazine. It had a, a, a huge circulation, millions and millions. They were asked to write a two-page story about Superman for the magazine. And what they did, they did this, quote-unquote, imaginary story, meaning not canonical, although canon was not even uh, a thing back then, um, called How Superman Would Win the War, in which uh, Superman just uh, basically crosses the Siegfried Line, the impregnable uh, fortified line uh, between uh, Germany and France. He kind of twists Nazi canon into barrels. He uh, swats the Luftwaffe out of the sky like flies, uh, humiliates all the Nazis. And he grabs Hitler and Stalin by the scruff of their necks. Stalin back then was still an ally of Hitler, uh, following the um, uh, Ribbentrop-Molotov Agreement, which Hitler would break like, two months later. And he flies them over to the, to the uh, United Na- to the League of Nations in Geneva to stand trial for war crimes. And it's a two-page story. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's featuring you know, it's a kids' comic book character in 1940. Who cares, right? Except that the Nazis cared a lot, and soon after the the SS had their own newspaper called the Schwarze Kopf, the Blackhead, and uh, heads, and they had a um, full page article that has been attributed by some by some researchers to uh, Joseph Goebbels himself, where they lambasted uh, Superman and this particular storyline, and they accused Superman. And you can make this stuff up, right? This is this is the beauty of history. Uh, they accused Superman of, and I'm, I'm quoting more or less verbatim, being a Jewish conspiracy to brainwash American youth with false Jewish values like compassion for the weak and helping the innocent. The Nazis were all about this kind of warped Nietzschean ideal of the Ubermensch and the Lebensraum and survival of the fittest and all that kind of stuff. So to them, this was, of course, anathema. Uh, but not to... And this was reported on pretty widely in, this, in the United States, how these two Jewish youths, there were 23 at the time, managed to kind of ruffle the vaunted race's feathers and kind of poke their finger in Hitler's eye. And um, according to the press, although this is, is dubious, uh, um, uh, Goebbels even had a conniption about it in the middle of a Reichstag meeting. Uh, either way, Siegel and Schuster had the last laugh. They trolled the Nazis back in the pages of Superman 25, where they have a story that lampoons the uh, arguments that the Nazis made, the, the kind of um, fulmination in the Nazi newspaper. So there's these great layers of meta-textuality uh, at play here. And when you remember that Superman was really Stiegel avatar in fiction, um, it just makes the whole thing very, very uh, rich. I'll add to that... That Superman was a huge success uh, as the war started. He became this. He became a, a better war bond salesman than Uncle Sam. Uh, anywhere they used him in, in newspapers, and radio ads, and posters, uh, scrap metal drives, war bonds, everything sold. And he ended up being um, out of sixty million American servicemen. Eight million read comics regularly. Superman essentially became regulation equipment, and with. Uh, American GIs carrying his comic books in their pockets and his image was over Jeeps and tugboats and particularly airplanes. The uh, US Air Force Reserve 33rd Bomber Squadron officially renamed itself the Superman Squadron and put his image on all their planes. So Superman in a very real sense was out there on the front lines fighting Hitler in real life. He was uh, Seagull and Schuster, his creator's um, avatar Punching Nazis in the face in their name.
0: It's like you stole my next question right out of my mouth because I was just getting ready to ask you about World War II and punching Nazis. Um, However, I did want to return to World War II just a little bit because there is also, in addition to this American World War II. Uh, experience, a global Jewish experience with World War II. And you talk about it at a couple points during the book about the ways in which uh, the Holocaust in particular shaped Superman. So I'm wondering if you could share that with the readers a little bit.
1: Yes. um, hmm. Superman was first and foremost, yes, he took off from the pulps and he got inspired by all kinds of things, but at his core, He was, first and foremost, Siegel and Schuster's reaction formation. Um, That's sort of like a psychological term for for protesting, for going against the kind of preconception you're trying to overturn. He was the reaction formation um, to what was going on in the world, the persecution of Jews in Europe. And they have addressed this. They've talked about this. They've admitted this. Uh, Anti-Semitism at home as well as anti-Semitic tropes of the Jews as weaklings, as overly cerebral, as awkward as these nebbishy, um no good nick. You know, the thirties and forties was this time of lionizing uh virility, these fascist ideals of physical strength and square jaws and blonde eyes and blonde hair and blue eyes and all this kind of stuff. Eugenics was uh very popular at the time. And here you have Superman who is all these, he's a burlesque of Jewish stereotypes, right? But that's really just a pretense because underneath he is super strong and super capable and super confident. Um, But this super man is also named Kal-El and El is a Hebraic name, which means God in Hebrew. Um, What he's wearing under the suit is, is ethnic garb. It's made from the the fabrics that his mother wrapped him in, uh, sending him from Krypton. When he, takes off his suit, he's not just deciding which personal side of himself will interact with the world, but also which ethnic side he's declaring to the world. It's like a talit, right? You wear it underneath and nobody knows who you are. You wear it on the outside and everybody knows who you are. It's the same principle. Um, So Superman is this ultimate assimilation slash assertion fantasy, which again, you put in the context of the time and that's a very, very powerful metaphor. This is not today where everybody's very proud of where they come from Um, and identity politics is, uh, something to strive for back then to, the thing to do was to pass. And this guy was able to sort of do both. He was also a reminder to the American people. And again, we're talking about the Holocaust. We're talking about World War II. We had the Johnson Reed Act from 1924 that limited immigration from Eastern Europe to a trickle, basically a death warrant to most, uh, uh, Jewish, uh, Europeans, and on top of that, you had a conspiracy in the United States uh, State Department by Breckenridge Long to, uh, quote-unquote, let the Jews of Europe die. Even of the meager um, uh, visas that the State Department was allowed, about 90% were rejected or dragged for years intentionally. Uh, something that Roosevelt the sort of hush-hushed, let Long retire and kept it under wraps instead of making a... Um, a giant scandal out of it, uh, and Jews were aware of how bad it was. Even children were not allowed. So here you have the story of a refugee, you know, an illegal alien, technically, right? He's thrown over the interplanetary fence, and he's sent to America, and he's accepted by loving Americans who take him in without a second thought and raise him on these American values. And this origin story comes out at the same time as the um, Saint Louis, the, the Spirit, the Voyage of the Damned. Right when the uh, ship arrived in Florida and got sent back to the charnel houses of of, of, um, of Europe. And um, he was a promise to the American people that their hospitality will pay off with dividends, that immigrants are not, as many of the time, insistent, uh, clannish, and treacherous, and ungrateful, and untrustworthy. They were loyal. They just had to be shown the American way, and they become productive members of society. Uh, and he's a very, very powerful reminder today as well, that, you know, he is this all-American icon who is secretly, he's an immigrant from elsewhere. He's a reminder that being an immigrant from elsewhere is all-American.
0: One of, I think we've talked a lot about the period leading up to World War II or World War II, but one of the more unique aspects and contributions of your text is your analysis of Superman in the post-war period. Uh, As many of the projects that have dealt with him prior and his Jewishness prior tend to focus on the war itself. So how does Superman adapt to the post-war and even uh, to the post-modern?
1: Thank you for that. Um, Yes, I am not the first one to write about Jewish themes or the Jewish historical context of superhero comics. Um, People have written about it before me, and some of you listening uh, may have heard about this. What sets my book apart is first of all, I go deeper into things and I look more at the Jewish angle, um, historically, socially, religiously, um, than just the comic book history. And the other thing is that what has... And the second thing is that I focus almost exclusively on Superman uh, throughout the book, hence the name. The, what has been written about before me, for some reason pretty much all ends in 1945. They discuss sort of the formative years, what's called in in comic book parlance, the golden age from 38 Superman's first appearance to 1945, the end of the war. But Superman didn't end in 1945. Uh, Judaism didn't end in 1945. And the Jewish themes and the influence of history certainly don't end in 1945. And what you have are these well into, um, to today, really, but the, the the mass of it is during the late 50s through the late 70s. Um, many, many, many Jewish themes, uh, again, conscious and otherwise, brought in by Jewish creators. And one example is uh, during the, the 30s and 40s, Planet Krypton, Superman's destroyed home planet, was really just a pretense for his powers. He was just a blue-collar, red-blooded, all-American guy who happens to have this kind of... Uh, ethnic background that gives him powers, but he wasn't particularly engaged with it. He wasn't interested in it. We didn't know more. And beginning in 1948, really, and explored throughout the 50s, Krypton becomes this metaphor for the Holocaust where different creators, including Jerry Siegel, Superman's co-creator, explore this metaphorically in very, very obvious ways. And Superman, you know, we we tend to think of American entertainment in the 50s as this sanitized, and suscient. Uh, uh, entertainment. We have, you know, Isle of Lucy and Leave It to Beaver and all the Father Father Knows Best, that kind of stuff. And but Superman was not that. Superman was grief stricken. Issue after issue, he clutches his head. He cries. He is um, beside himself with grief and frustration. He tries to go back in time and stop Krypton's destruction and fails. He tries to learn more about his origin. He discovers uh, Supergirl, his cousin, who also survived the war. I mean, that's a very common story that happened to my own grandmother with her sister. Where somebody survives and you don't know, and then you run into them years later, or you hear about it. Um, and these themes are heavily explored: this kind of civilization lost, and trying to, and the, the last remnant, and trying to keep it alive, and learning more, and kind of revisiting the old world that got destroyed and cannot be uh, um, brought back. And this culminates in a story, which is one of my 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 favorites. Um, Called the Death of Superman in Superman number one twenty nine, which um, one twenty one thirty nine, sorry, which came out in um, November nineteen sixty one, and that story was written by Jerry Siegel, Superman's co-creator, and it's an imaginary story. By which I mean it's again not canonical. They they do these kind of what if type stories. It's very common in comic books. Lex Luthor, Superman's arch enemy, the crazy scientist, manages to finally kill him. He runs away and hides. He's found by Supergirl, Superman's cousin, in a clandestine uh, operation, and he's brought to stand trial for his murder, except it's not at the UN or the US, it's Kandor, it's this remnant of Krypton, like a shtetl in a vase that managed to survive the the, um, destruction of the planet by being miniaturized, that just so happens to number six million people. And Superman, uh, Luthor is told, you killed one of us, you will be tried by us. He's placed in this bulletproof uh, prisoner's docket in which he stands and there's a guard of each side of him, on each side of him, and it becomes this trial of the century. It's broadcast in, in televisions all over the world. And this is of course based on the trial and the capture and trial of Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the final solution. And you look at this issue and you see panels that are clearly drawn with using the photos from the trial, the direct reference of Eichmann in the prisoner docket with the, the guards on each side and the judge um, to his left and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is not subtext. This is text. At the end of the, the comic book issue, the judge even tells uh, Luthor, you are the worst uh, villain since Adolf Eichmann himself. And it's all there and nobody's ever sort of picked up on it because nobody has looked at it from that perspective, which I thought was fascinating. And I just had a, a this weekend, I got to talk to Dan Jurgens, the writer artist who created the very famous in comic book, uh, in the comic book world, Death and Return of Superman um, storyline from 1992, 1993, which sold the millions and talked to him about this. And he he thought found, found, found it fascinating. He, he got the book and we've been emailing since. Um, so this is all there. All these themes are absolutely there. And then we go into the 70s and the sort of greatest creative force in Superman, uh, the the biggest influence on his mythology, on his lore after Siegel uh, stopped was a Jewish writer named Elliot S. Magin, uh, who is very much still alive and still active, who was a student of Martin Buber and of Kabbalah, who in an interview cheekily said that he regards Superman being Jewish so obvious it might as well be canon. And he borrowed heavily from his tradition in all kinds of stories, uh, including entire biblical narratives where he just gave them a a quick uh, sci-fi spin. Uh, We learned that in Krypton's ancient past, they were enslaved by a pharaonic sounding uh, villain named Takane, who under the yoke of whips, forces them to build ziggurat uh, uh, pyramids for him. And then they they gain freedom using a plague of hives. That's not even, I mean, that's wink wink, but it's very much there. My favorite example of this is a mega storyline, the saga called Miracle Monday that starts in the comics in 1979, becomes its own novel in 1981, goes back into the comics and culminates in 1984 in Superman number 400, October, 1984. And Miracle Monday in Superman lore is a holiday celebrated in the far future uh, in uh, commemoration of Superman not simply saving humanity time and again, but, and I quote, teaching us how to live as a free people. Uh, the holiday is celebrated in the form of a holiday dinner, of a family dinner, uh, in which the son of the family notes how this night is different from all other nights. I, I believe you see where I'm going with this. The, in this particular issue, the father of the family is named Herzog and just so happens to look exactly like Chaim Herzog, the um, president of Israel at the time, he raises a glass and he says, let all who are hungry come and eat, which is literally the kol dichvin. Uh Then they, uh, Megan plays with a bit. The uh, Each member of the family symbolically puts a portion of their food onto a plate set aside for Superman's return. Uh, and this is, of course, the Seder. This is, of course, Passover. And it's very much supposed to be this tongue-in-cheek um use of of our culture in our tradition and it really works uh not only because the Hagada is is you know the only illuminated manuscript in judaism not only is that a comic book really um it really commemorates the story of moses uh the exodus which is the greatest epic in our tradition but also the story of moses which superman in large part is based on so it all parallels very very nicely
0: Really, there is so much really rich material in this text. uh, And it would take us, I think, hours to talk through most of it. But I'm kind of curious, I'm assuming like all authors, you had to make a few cuts along the way. Is there anything that you cut out that you really want to share with readers? Or listeners?
1: Yeah, I would love to the book. So the book is more than anything, a, a history book. And the Publisher McFarland is a large uh, academic book. The book is technically a scholarly work. It has 41 pages of endnotes and bibliography, almost 200 sources, not including comic books, over 400 sources, including comic books. Uh, It was written as part of a fellowship uh, with the New York Public Library. It's a serious, um, it's a research book. That said, Uh, I didn't want it to be turgid. I didn't want to be boring and uh, laborious to go through. I wrote it in very simple English in a way that anybody, any adult, any high schooler and above can just pick it up, read it at the beach, and have fun with it. That was very important to me. So, and sort of having that cake and eating it too. But because of that, I also had to cut a lot of things out. And the first, I found so many things in research, much more than I thought I would going in that the first draft of this book clocked in at a whopping 196,000 words. And then I had to cut that, uh, slim that down a lot. Um, and a lot of stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. And what I've been lucky enough is to f- repurpose that and find a home for it. I've been writing for CNN about pop culture and found some things. Um, there's, a, there's a piece I just did for the New York Daily News about how Comic-Con is also a Jewish invention. Uh, created by a bunch of Jewish teenagers. uh, And the first Comic-Con was held in 1963 in the Lower East Side of New York in a workman's circle uh, offices. Uh, So I managed to parlay that into an article for the New York Daily News. Um, For Hanukkah, I have a piece coming out in the foreword about how um, Green Lantern is Jewish too, Uh, what I call an illuminating tale for Hanukkah. So there's so many, there's so many things. And yes, Green Lantern is actually Jewish thematically and sort of kind of literally. Um, and I had to cut that from the book, but it ended up being an article. And uh, as you can see, I love this stuff. I love talking about it. It's why I wrote a book about it. Uh, and, and there's a such a rich tapestry of history with so many layers, uh, both depth and width to it. Um, and, and I wish this would be something that people would be interested in buying three volumes of because I could write that, but I had to make it slender enough to be a, a fun read. So that one out at the end of the day.
0: That makes sense. I was going to follow up with a question about sources because you have such a fun source base. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to read comics books all day? But there's also a, a pretty wide variety of uh, historical texts. So can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, fellow scholars that inspired you or helped you along the way?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I know you and I talked briefly before and that you you expressed that you enjoyed the book and that that was really, really nice to hear. Um, the yes, I I a lot of the research was obviously the prime sources. So I read every Superman comic book, main Superman comic book. He made guest appearances all over the place. But I've read every Superman comic book ever published from 1938 to date. I watched every TV show episode, watched every movie. I watched the musical, uh, don't ask. I um, I listened to all surviving radio episodes. He had a radio show that was immensely popular in the 40s that had a staggering 2,088 episodes. Um, I listened to all surviving episodes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, I like to tell people hey, it was a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. So I did all that, which was a great deal of fun. But this is also a, a serious book. And I did a lot of historical research, um, aside from pouring over the Talmud and, and you know working with a rabbi and, and um, a doctor in uh, Jewish uh, studies and all that kind of stuff uh, to make sure everything is kosher from all angles there was a lot of historical research uh, to make sure everything is accurate and provides full context and nothing is left out. And I'll share um, a short story. So this is why I really received a fellowship from the New York Public Library. I worked particularly with um, the Dorot division in the New York Public Library, which is Jewish studies. And uh, an example of how um, uh, detailed this research was I wanted to use a quote, not a critical quote, but I wanted to use it. It's a very famous quote from Hitler, how he says, um, the Jews are definitely a race, but undoubtedly not human. And it's also, that, that quote also uh, can be found in the, the forward to Mouse, the 1986 Pulitzer Prize winning graphic novel. And it's a very famous quote. It appears everywhere. I wanted to use it with the prime source and could not find it. I couldn't find it online. I couldn't find it in history books. I couldn't find it anywhere in the library. And again, it's not that pivotal, it's not that critical to the book, but I wanted the prime source. And it ended up that the head of the Dorot Division at the New York Public Library, after exhausting all her resources, reached out to a colleague at the Berlin Public Library, who also couldn't find it anywhere, who reached out to his colleague, and we ended up tracking it in the archives of the Munich police force to a street uh, speech given by a young Hitler in 1923 that got recorded. So, you know, you had this kind of global effort to trace down this one little quote, just to make sure we got the prime source of it. So that's the kind of level of, uh, I'm going to say Talmudic parchment because it fits here, uh, that I brought to this to make sure that this is viable. So this book, you know, I wrote it so it can be read for fun, but I also researched it so it could be used as a source text in, Um, schools and high schools and colleges, et cetera.
0: Definitely. Well, we're starting to kind of uh, get to the end or to the wrap-up period, mostly because we're running out of time. But I wanted to um, close with my kind of traditional uh, closing question. And that is, what are you working on now? What can we expect next from you, Roy?
1: Um, So the book has opened many uh, doors for me. I'm enjoying doing the book tour which is mostly virtual but um i'm also traveling a bit so i'm doing uh uh, jcc's and shuls now just jewish book month going on uh i just came back from detroit comic-con it's um it's all a lot of fun i am under contract and as i I mentioned I, i write for different publications and i write about pop culture for cnn my third piece should be coming out by the time uh this podcast is out and um I'm under contract for my uh, next book. I am co-writing it. I'm sort of the hired gun. So uh, a a group of people put together substantive content and I'm sort of uh, making it uh, readable. So I'm under an NDA. I cannot go into detail, but it's under contract and it's going to be a nonfiction historical graphic novel. There's also talk about turning my uh, first book into a uh, graphic novel with a publisher. We'll see where that goes. And uh, I'm... Also, parallel to all this, because I, I don't need sleep, I sleep fast, uh, have started research on my next book after that, which will be presumably a uh, um, YA fiction, a sort of an adventure YA book. So I'm, I'm, I'm busy.
0: Yeah, very busy. Plus, you also have a full-time job doing other things that are, are not writing. So I don't know when you do it all. I uh, I want to take you a moment just to thank you for taking the time out of your day to chat with us today and share uh, this book, which is amazing. Just once more for those that are listening, it's Roy Schwartz's is, is, "Is Superman Circumcised, The Complete Jewish History of the World's Greatest Hero. And you can pick it up at all places where books can be purchased. Uh, so thank you for taking the time today, Roy.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. It's been a pleasure.